The series that we're in is called Foundations. And um, what we're doing over the last couple of weeks, not last week, we had Dr. Andy here. How many of y'all love Dr. Andy? Come on. He's just a, he's just a good guy. We actually stayed and did a, a podcast after, after the uh, service last week, and, and you can go check that out on YouTube if you want, NC Unscripted. And uh, we just had some real conversations about a lot of pertinent situations that are going on, so you can go and, uh, and, and check that out. But just a, a great, he's a great person, um, you know, up on the stage, but he's also a great person behind the scenes. Uh, we love the Yarboroughs. But, but last week, he talked about um, a lot of things in regards to relationships and experiences and, and uh, being able to be aware of those experiences. I hope that some of you this week, maybe there was something that happened and you stopped for maybe like a split second and thought, hey, let me be aware of what I'm actually feeling right now and how can I respond properly, right? But the two weeks before that, we talked about discipleship. What is a disciple? And then we also talked about justification. And today is sort of like, I don't wanna say part two of justification, but in regards to salvation, it's sort of part two because you have this, this justification part of salvation and then you have this ongoing process of sanctification. And I just want to say this, a lot of times people get the cart before the horse when it comes to justification and sanctification. And, and you guys will kind of understand more what I mean by that in, in a few minutes here. But, but a lot of times people come to God and they come to God with this idea that they need to be cleaned up before they get right. So I'm going to do a lot of good things in order to earn God's love and grace and then I'm ready to follow Jesus, not understanding that it's exactly the opposite. It's exactly the opposite. So I think today some of you are going to get set free from some mindsets, from condemnation that has you just underneath this hammer all the time, right? Waiting for God just to drop his hammer on you because he's so mad at you. And, uh, and we're going to understand uh, the proper way of looking at that. So this series, Foundations, is part of our mission as a church to help people know God, grow in Christ, and go in the power of the Holy Spirit, okay? And so in that, we believe that everybody needs a foundation to, uh, to build their walk with God upon. And so over this, the next couple of months, a few months, we're going to be dealing with these foundational things, um, these foundational aspects of our walk with God. So... This week, obviously, like I just said, it's about sanctification. Now, last time we talked about justification, we said it's a changed condition, okay? We are born in the condition of sin. Sanctification is a changing of conduct, okay? Big difference there. So when we talk about conduct, that's what everybody sees from us, right? But that's also what we see of us. Right? We, we know how we act. And so many times, again, like I just said, people, they gravitate towards immediately towards behavior and conduct in regards to their walk with God. And, uh, and, and, and the problem is, is that if you start there, you end up in what's called a works-based Christianity. You end up in religion. You end up in the do's and the don'ts. Of our, of our belief system of Christianity, and you completely miss the heart and the why of why we want our conduct to change or why our behavior changes. And so um, I hope that makes sense as we go through this today. Sanctification follows justification, which is a changed condition. So a lot of people, it looks like this. You get saved, right? You get justified, and you're expecting Monday morning, whenever you wake up, that everything about you is 100% different. You think different, you talk different. You know what I'm saying? Your desires are 100% different. And what happens is that's not the case. 
There may be some things, there may be some parts of your life that are immediately transformed, like immediately, but then there's, there's like the long game. And the long game confuses people at times. It confuses, because it's like, I thought I was saved. I can't believe I'm still dealing with this. Or how about this? I thought you were saved. You ever had that? You know, you start following Jesus and then, you know, the, the old man peeks out every now and then, you know, out of your life, the old sin nature, and somebody reminds you, and you said you're a Christian. You know what I'm saying? Right? Because there's this expectation of perfection, which is also not what Jesus said that we would experience here in this life, okay? But for some people, whenever they start experiencing the same, maybe some of the same issues or the same desires, there's a confusion that sets in because it's like, I thought that I was a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new, but yet I'm still dealing with some old funky stuff. What's the deal? You know what I'm saying? And then the enemy kind of, kind of comes in, and then he starts planting seeds. This is all fake. This isn't real. See, you can't overcome that. And, and many people just end up quitting, end up backing out. It's too hard. And a lot of times it's because we either weren't taught properly about what it is, what salvation is and what it isn't and what process we're in. And so we want to bring some clarity to that today. So this is the definition of sanctification that we're going to use. Sanctification is a transformative process where a disciple of Jesus co-labors with God while growing in Christ-likeness and learning to live a life of freedom from sin. All right? Just leave it there for a second. Let's, for all my visual learners, let's just read it again, right? That's a lot of words. But I want you to notice transformative process where a disciple of Jesus co-labors with God while growing in Christ-likeness and learning, learning to live a life of freedom from sin. The illustration that we use a lot is with the Israelites. They were in bondage in Israel for, um, in Egypt for 400 years. And they get set free, okay? They get set free from Egypt. Y'all know the story of Moses. He goes in and the 10 plagues and it's crazy. And finally, Pharaoh's like, y'all just get out of here. You know, this is, just, just go serve your God, right? Well, you know what's crazy is just a few days later, they end up saying, Egypt wasn't that bad after all. <laughs> y'all, they were slaves. They were getting beaten, okay? And, 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 but they were like, you know what? At least we had a bed and at least we had food and we didn't have to worry about all this stuff but you were in bondage. Yeah, but, you know, sometimes bondage ain't that bad. I mean, that's what it kind of started sounding like, right? And Moses is upset. God's fury is like being carried out upon them, right? They're complaining. What was that? Well, here's what happened. They got out of Egypt, but Egypt didn't get out of them. They were still in bondage in their mind and in their heart and their will. They were in bondage. They had to relearn how to live in freedom. And that's exactly how it is for us. We have been raised up our entire life. We, we know sin. We, we, we are in bondage. And then all of a sudden, man, here we are. We hear and we believe in Jesus and we hear that we're set free. But it's like, yeah, but I'm not feeling free. And so I'm not thinking free. But you're free. It's, it's sort of like that, that whole illustration with the elephant. We talked about this a few days ago at prayer. But um, the elephant that's, you know, the elephant's born and, and, and it's, it's little and they, they tie the elephant to a little stake in the ground and it, and it can only like travel around just like a few feet. And then as it gets bigger and bigger, eventually it could rip the stake right off the ground, but it doesn't know that. And so if they take the stake out the ground, it still kind of stays around that little area, right? I don't know if that's true or not. I've just read that on, online. So 
makes for a really good point, though. Um, it might be true. I think it's true. It's true. And um, <laughs> somebody can go Google that later and let me know. Uh, but, but the point is, is that, man, sometimes we need to not just know, but we need to experience freedom. And so the Israelites experienced freedom, but they didn't experience internal freedom. Now, here's the deal. When it comes to sanctification, this transformative process of becoming more like God, uh, like Jesus, I want to let you know that God will use a lot of things in order to make you holy. All right? Um, it's sort of like applying heat or fire to gold, you know, and, and, and all the impurities come to the surface, right? It's the same thing with us in our hearts and our walks with God. It's, it's the little things that apply pressure to our life and begin to kind of boil up the things inside of us to the surface. And have you ever been surprised at what bubbled up in your life? You ever had a reaction that bubbled up and you're like, huh, that's still in there, isn't it? Yep. Yep. Does that mean I'm not saved? Nope. Nope. You're in the process of sanctification. And man, y'all, if we could look at the little things in our lives as opportunities to grow in Christ's likeness rather than just frustrations, we would approach all of these things that we deal with with a completely different heart. A couple of years ago, I was walking through one of the most difficult situations in my life that I've dealt with, and it was one of those situations that once the situation starts, it doesn't stop. Like, your life is kind of in some way, shape, or form permanently sort of tilted. It's like, okay, that was, that was how it was back then. It's not going to be like that anymore, and I was struggling with that. And so what I was waiting for is for the environment or the situation to change to go back to how it was so that way I could be settled again. And uh, it was actually Pastor Mike, we were, we were uh, in a meeting, and I was just, honestly, I was venting. I was just like, man, I'm struggling with this, and da 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 and he had heard me talk about it a few, a few times, and he finally just sat forward, and he said, you know, Jordan, sometimes we have to stop waiting for people to change or for this to change and realize that God is doing something in us. He's probably crushing you. And I was like, I don't want to hear that right now. And then he started talking about the, the, the press, right? And if I remember a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Casey was talking about discipleship, and he talked about the little olive that was running. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you need to go back and watch the message from two weeks ago. By the way, if you, don't, if you haven't seen that message, then this message is incomplete without the first one. So you need to go back and watch two weeks ago when Pastor Casey talked about uh, justification. But what it is is we're like little olives in the olive press, and we've got little legs, and we run away from the crushing Right, the, the wheel that's like slowly grinding. The thing is, is that the olive oil that comes out of that olive, it, there's, there's, there's worth, there's value, and God wants to do that in us. He doesn't want to hurt us. But guys, look, we are going through this life, and it, y'all, it hurts sometimes. But if we are just waiting for those things to stop, and we don't surrender to the, to the crushing, come on, fall on the rock, or the rock's going to fall on you. As the scripture says, come on, it's a life of surrender, and we're going to get into that in just a moment. I don't want to shoot the gun before I get there. But, um, but this process of becoming more like Jesus, we don't do this alone. The process of sanctification is a co-laboring. And so we don't sit back and wait for God to make us better, but he also doesn't sit back and expect us to be able to become more like Christ without his supernatural help. All right? And so, but, but consequently, if we don't participate... Our sin can lead to death. A lot of people really love to lean into justification. They love to lean into the grace and the mercy of God. But they also stop there. 
and their walk with God, it's like, hey, I'm good to go, you know? And they don't co-labor in this process of sanctification. And now I will, I will say this. Um, I don't believe that, I don't believe that, I um, see, I don't really want to go here today, but I do need to say uh, there's a lot of conversations and questions about can someone who has been saved lose their salvation? And some people get really hung up in that. And a lot of times people are doing that because they're, they're looking at someone else and they're thinking about someone else. Have they lost? Are they still, are they? Well, and, and I would just say this first off, don't, don't be so concerned about other people's walks with God because typically whenever you get overly concerned with other people's walks with God, uh, there can be a little bit of spiritual pride that begins to kind of come up inside of you, which is like, well, I'm here, and they're here. The Pharisee and the tax collector in the temple, we must always be very careful of that. So a lot of times, that's what it is. The other, the other is where a lot of people are fearful. They're fearful that they're going to lose their salvation. And, and again, I want to encourage you to go back a couple of weeks ago and listen to justification, especially towards the end whenever Casey began to talk about adoption and being sealed by the Spirit of God. Don't fear losing your salvation. Love Jesus, serve him, follow him, keep your eyes on him, and I guarantee you it's going it's to work out. Trust in the faithfulness of God. But he is sanctifying us, right? Now, I want to show you a graph real quick. We can go ahead and put that up. Because a lot of people are visual learners, okay? And so, uh, so this is not a, a theologically perfect graph, but I think it's pretty good. All right, so we're going to go with it today. So here we are, before Christ, and little words in there in case you can't see it. It says a slave to sin. Before we know Jesus, every single one of us are born in sin. We're born a slave to sin. And then we're just living life. And, and that dotted line represents our conduct. See how it's up and down? It's kind of all over the place, okay? And, and, but there's this line that says justification. And that's where we're made right with God. And again, a couple of weeks ago, you can go listen to that process, what that looks like. But what happens is people at that point, their conduct, right, man, that, man, God starts doing a great work in their life. And they're like, hey, I'm up and to the right. I'm good to go. I am, I am holy, right? There's no sin can hold me down. And then all of a sudden, boom, there's a dip. I fell back into that thing where I, I, I made a mistake again. And for some people, that dip right there, they're like, oh, I've done lost it. And they imagine themselves back underneath that line of justification. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm, I'm disconnected from God again. I'm apart from him. I'm, I'm, I'm underneath his wrath again. Here we go again. And, and they don't realize that there's this process here. And so then, then there, there, there's an up and then there's a down. There's an up and a down. And, and overall, you can kind of see that there's an up and a right to, to the conduct, okay? That they're becoming more like Jesus. But if you watch every single, it's like watching the stock market. Come on, y'all. One day, you're like, I'm retiring at 35. And the next day, you're like, I'm never going to stop working, you know? And that's how some people live their walk with God. Every day, it's like, it's a crapshoot. It's like, what's going to happen? I don't know. Like, I, we'll see how it goes today. And they're completely misunderstanding the process that they're in. They're misunderstanding the heart of God. They're misunderstanding the fact that they're a child of God, right, made in his image, and, and so this process becomes very condemning for some. But I want you to see this. Then you've got physical death. And we believe that 
there's glorification after physical death, which is where we are fully perfected in eternity. And so in this life, your walk with God, you are not going to be perfect. There was one who was perfect. You are not him. But we trust in the finished work of Jesus to be clothed in his righteousness before God to where God sees Christ, not us, where we are covered in the blood of Jesus, okay? Where we are protected, where we are covered, where we are redeemed. And this is the life that we live. This is the walk that we're in. And for many people, again, there's a lot of opportunity for condemnation to come in. And and I hope that today that you'll see the difference between condemnation and something else that we're going to talk about. Philippians 2, 12, and 13. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Let's just read it again, right? Watch this. Work out, first off, your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you, both to will, for you to will, for the desire, and to work for his good pleasure, not your own. I don't know if you know this yet, but your walk with God is not for you. It's, it's not so you can receive happiness. I listened to a guy uh, talk about happiness this past week, and uh, he said, you know, the pursuit of your life is not to be happy. How many of you, does that make you kind of like, like maybe this past week you were like, I just want to be happy. Well, I, I want to be happy. I want a lot of things. I want a cheeseburger every day, but it doesn't mean that it's always good for me. Because a lot of times we will search for happiness and in the pursuit of happiness, we will encounter compromise. We'll encounter a lot of other things that make us happy, but don't please God. The point of our life is not to be happy, it's to please Jesus, so to live a life that glorifies him. And so justification makes us free to walk out our salvation in fear and trembling. Come on. Fear of God, reverence for God, humility, as we participate with God in the sanctification process. So here's the deal. There's two roles in sanctification. There's God's role, and then there's our role in this process of sanctification. What is God's role in our personal sanctification? When we are saved, we receive the Holy Spirit, which empowers us to live a life that pleases God. So the Spirit of God is involved in every part of salvation. He draws us to himself. He transforms our heart. He reminds us that we're adopted. This is all a work of the Spirit in our lives. You did not one day just all of a sudden say, hey, I think I'll follow God. He drew you. He drew you by his Spirit. He drew you to himself and so, so we're drawn by the Holy Spirit, but, but then we're, we're, the Holy Spirit does a, a few things in our life as we walk out our salvation. This is a few things that he does in and through us. Number one, he empowers us. God empowers us. 2 Corinthians 3, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. You know the song, we go from glory to glory? How many of you, that song confuses you, right? This is a scripture that this, that, that, that song is about. We're being changed, transformed from glory to glory to be made in his image, uh, to reflect his image. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. God empowers us to become more like him. And 
He empowers us to, to, to be a witness. Come on, how many of you, you got saved and you wanted to tell everybody about Jesus? What was that? It was the spirit of God inside of you, empowering you to be a witness. We see a scripture to kind of talk about this in Acts 1.8. It says, you'll receive power. Now, of course, you know, this is Acts 1.8. It's before Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit comes. But the same thing is in play for us. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit empowers you as a believer to be a witness. He also empowers you to, to bear good fruit. To bear good fruit. Did you know that as a believer, there should be fruit of the fact that you are a disciple of Jesus in your life? Fruits of repentance. Come on. The fruit of the Spirit. If you're looking for a good, uh, uh, you know, measuring stick in your life for where you are at with God, begin to, to look at and pray about the fruit of the Spirit in your heart and in your life. The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, I want to help you understand something at this point. What I'm teaching you today is not do's and don'ts and measure all of this and now really try hard in order to have the fruit of the Spirit in your life. The thing that, that you really should be seeking and praying about is, God, would you reveal your love to me more and more? Would you reveal your grace to me more and more? And out of, what, out of that revelation, God begins to transform you into not this duty type of walk with God, but this I delight in doing the will of God. And so these things, it's like fruit on a tree. If the tree is healthy, it bears fruit. Man, look, if the Spirit of God is in your life and you're seeking Him and you're in this process, your, your life begins to bear good fruit. So again, I don't want this today to be a yoke upon you of heaviness. This is, this is, this is positive, man. The sanctification process is a joy, okay? But... We, we, he empowers us to, to be a witness. He empowers us to bear good fruit. Another thing that God does in our life is that God convicts us. Conviction. Conviction is a positive word, y'all. It's a positive word. It's good for the Holy Spirit to convict us. It's where he guides us into truth. Uh, conviction is a positive thing. In God's grace and love, he prompts us when we sin and gives us the ability to choose confession and repentance. Conviction brings hope. It's full of hope. John 16, 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is him guiding you into truth, realigning your walk with God. Does, are, there, are there sparks at time? Yeah. Is it always fun, fun, fun? No, but it's good. It's for your good and for his glory. It's good. It brings hope. Now, here's the deal. In contrast to the Holy Spirit convicting us, Satan loves to condemn us when we sin. He loves to condemn us, even if we're not doing anything wrong. For some of you, you're not doing wrong things, but what the enemy does is he reminds you of your past. He reminds you. Something that happened 10 years ago. He reminds you, and you feel guilt and condemnation. That is not the Holy Spirit. Now, sometimes the Holy Spirit may 
kind of remind us to let us know how far we've come. <laughs> you know, how many, you know, it's like, man, my life is really different. But I'm talking about condemnation. Satan loves to condemn. Condemnation is the opposite of conviction and is not how the Holy Spirit operates in our lives. Condemnation brings hopelessness. And I want to say this as well. Conviction is motivated by the love of God and condemnation is, is motivated by fear. It's rooted in fear. Now, we use fear in two different ways. Fear, there's a, there's a good fear, which is more of a reverential, uh, an honoring, a respect of God's authority and sovereignty and ability, right? But then there's fear in regards to, like, I'm scared that the hammer's about to fall. You know what I'm talking about? And some people have a fear of God like that, not a, a, an honoring and a respectful. And a, and a, I mean, it is fear, but it's, you know, it's a different motivation. But perfect love casts out fear of judgment. Whenever you've experienced the love of God, you no longer have fear of judgment, right? And so conviction and love, it really ties into this next thing, and I'm going to kind of surf off this. The next thing that God does is God disciplines us. God disciplines us like a loving parent disciplines a child. Now, I am fully aware that for many of you, when you were growing up, Discipline was not rooted in love for you. It was rooted in anger or fear, okay, negative fear. And so whenever you see the word discipline as a loving parent disciplines a child, that does not have any positive meaning for you. But God is a loving father, perfect father, and the way that he disciplines us is actually it's out of love, all right? How many of y'all have ever seen a kid that was completely undisciplined, all right? completely, un- no governor, no nothing. Did you think, wow, their parents must really love them? <laughs> Sorry, no, you didn't. You're like, where are their parents? They need some discipline. <laughs> Guys, we need discipline. I need to be disciplined. And God will use a lot of different things to discipline. He'll use good things and bad things. He'll use people you like and people you don't like. He'll use all sorts of situations in order to discipline you. Correction. We don't like correction, especially in America. We don't like correction. Let me live my life. And then we come into a community of faith, like in the church, and then all of a sudden, there's someone who says, you know, out of love, hey, that's really, man, that's it's not really exactly biblical. It's not really, hey, we need to, maybe we need to work with, can we talk about this? And it's like, whoosh. You know, like a little canary, the feathers go, it's like, I'm living my life. You don't judge me. Well, okay. I know that we've talked about that, but did you know that there's a little bit of a balance there? God will use our, our, our leaders, he'll use our friends, he'll use our spouse to correct us, to convict us, to discipline, to bring discipline. He uses his word. Sometimes he, he will convict and discipline you when you're all by yourself just reading the Bible, and all of a sudden it says something, and you're like, ooh, go to the next page, you know? We need it in our lives. Hebrews 12 says this, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. 
I want to encourage you today to, be, to allow yourself to be trained by the discipline of God. Submit yourself to that process. Again, Casey said it a couple weeks ago, right? Face the stone. Face the stone. Allow God to do a deep work in your life. So what's our role in sanctification? Our role in sanctification is this. Number one, we die to self. Now, if you've been in church any amount of time and you hear this, this phrase, die to self, it sounds a little strange at first, but I'm not talking about some sort of like self-hatred or anything like that. This is a, a biblical term. It, it kind of refers to uh, mortification, right? Putting to death the, the, word, the deeds of the flesh. Like if you've read those in scripture, you, you, you know what I'm talking about. But uh, what dying to self is, it's dying to self is regarding your old sin nature as dead and living out your new life in Christ, Maybe you've heard this, this saying before, somebody who's, uh, maybe they had a relationship with someone, maybe it was a dad or a, I don't know, a brother or something like that, and their relationship falls apart, and say somebody betrays somebody, like really, really bad, and you're talking to this person, and they say, oh yeah, he's dead to me. She's dead to me. What are they saying? Well, they're saying that they could care less about that person, that they put them to the side in their life, and obviously, typically, that's... They might be rooted in bitterness and all kind of pain, but the statement is this, they're dead to me. I'm no longer living my life like they exist. I am moving, I'm going this direction. Now that's in a negative way. In the same way though, using that term, whenever you say like, I died to myself, I'm dead to myself, it's like regarding your old man as something that you no longer live according to. The desires of the flesh, all of that, that is no longer king in your life. Right, yourself has now been demoted. So I'm not living my life in according to exactly what I want to do, or at least I'm in the process of learning what, like how to do that. Okay, right? But it's it's this idea of I'm dead to self. I'm dead to my sinful desires. Those things are they don't reign in my life anymore, and I'm living for Jesus. And there's an inward and an outward part to this. And so our inward role in sanctification is to present our lives as a sacrifice to God through this wonderful word that we all love, surrender. How many of y'all love surrender? Yeah, brokenness. Y'all like these words? Come on, to be broken before God? No, we don't because in and of ourselves, those words mean that we are not preserving self. We're all survivalists in regards to promoting and protecting ourselves. And these words of surrendering to Jesus and, and living for him, those things have to do with crowning him as Lord of our life and not ourselves. And so the choice of surrender is not about trying harder to do good things and not sin. Okay? I'm, I'm not talking about you try really, really hard. It's about surrender to God. It's not about resisting more, although resisting sin is a real part of our life, resisting the enemy, but it's, it's not just that. It's more about surrendering to God, to his heart, to his, to his uh, ways. And so Romans 12 says this. Many of you know the scripture. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies. What that means is yield. Yield yourself. Present your bodies to God holy and acceptable to God as a living sacrifice, which, check this out, it says, 
is your spiritual worship. Another verse, uh, version says it's your reasonable form of worship, meaning this, it just makes sense. If you believe in Jesus and the finished work of Jesus on the cross and you believe in that, the only natural reasonable response is surrender. It'd be like if somebody saved your life, if you were about to get hit by a car, right? And they reach out and they grab you and they pull you out the way and you didn't see it coming. What would you feel? Gratitude, thanksgiving. What can I do to, 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 to pay you back? What can I do? It only makes sense. You wouldn't just be like, health, appreciate it, bro. <laughs> that would be weird. That's, that's how I read this verse, right? Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Verse two, but don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Somebody summarized that verse by saying that you could find and follow God's will. To be surrendered, to not be conformed to the world, but be transformed, how? By the renewal of your mind. Isn't it interesting that the first thing that he says, how, are you, how, do, how do you kind of enter into this process of becoming more like God? The way that you think. Because the way that you think is eventually how you're going to act and live your life, right? So we need our minds to be renewed and transformed. And so we have this inward part of us of surrendering to, to God. Y'all okay? Y'all with me today? Everybody good? Okay. All right. Number two, we have an outward role in sanctification. And that includes following the leading of the Spirit, living an active faith characterized by good works and pursuing holiness. This is the stuff that people see right here, right? Your works. Your works. I'm going to read a few scriptures that kind of all tie together this thought. Galatians 5. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We just talked about that, dying to self. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let's keep in step with what God is speaking to us. James 2. But someone will say, you have faith, you have belief, you have strong faith, you're justified, you have faith. But... Uh, and I have works. Man, look, I'm doing all the right things. This person right here says, I'm doing all the right things. And this person says, I'm believing all the right things. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody like that? You got one person who's like all about what they believe and having the right doctrine and theology and all this kind of stuff, really heady intellectualism. And then you've got the person over here that's all about, well, you know, I don't know about all that, but I just know that it's all about just loving people. Just be nice to people. Have good works. And a lot of times we, we separate those things if you read Paul and you read James in the scripture, you read Jesus, you'll see that those things are all meshed together. It's meshed together. It's faith and works, okay? Works not, be, not to earn salvation, but works because of salvation as a fruit of it. And so James 2.26, or I'm sorry, it's still in verse 18. Uh, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You see this marriage happening between these two things. James 2.26, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Many times we do good things to become acceptable to God. However, we seek to do good works because we are already acceptable to God through Jesus, even though we don't deserve it. Even though we don't deserve it. That, that's still there. You see, for some people, it's like they came to Jesus by grace, and then it's all of a sudden like the grace of God quit, and now it's all up to them. 
The same grace that saved you is the same grace that will sustain you. The gospel is true both before you're justified and after you're justified. You continue to go back to the well of the gospel. You don't ever graduate from it. It's what keeps you humble. It's what purifies you. It's what, it's what causes you to continue to sing songs like we just sang with passion and, and hope and, and fervor in your life. Don't ever get bored with the gospel of Jesus Christ, y'all. Let's not do that. Once this truth is realized, we move away from the mindset of I have to do good works to please God and understand and, and understanding that we have the privilege to do good works because of what he has done for us. Good works become something we want to do instead of something we have to do. And again, I said this earlier, but that's what religion is. You have to, have to, have to. And, and it, there's nothing about desire or will or, or transformation. It's just behavioral modification. Jesus did not die on the cross for your behavior only to change. That's such a transactional view of God. God is into transformation. The next thing that we do is that we confess. We confess. Confession is acknowledgement of wrongdoing to God and often to another person. Confession simply says, I did wrong. And this opens the door to repentance and, when applicable, seeking forgiveness. And so uh, repentance and forgiveness and all these things, there's a little bit of delineation between these things. And we're not digging extremely deep into these subjects today. But we confess to God for forgiveness. James says, or 1 John says this, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I want to encourage you today that if you have confessed your sins a thousand times and you feel like God no longer hears you, go for a thousand one. Keep confessing your sin to God. It's Christ's righteousness, not your own. Keep confessing. Trust in this verse. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you, God. We also confess to people for healing. Many people miss this step right here. We're all good confessing to God in the quietness of our room and our car, right? We know that God's faithful, but, but man, people don't forget, right? But the, the scripture says that we confess to people for healing. James says this, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. I believe that we confess to God for, for forgiveness, but many times we confess to people for healing. There is something that God has programmed in us to, to go to one another to confess to one another, to pray for one another, and there's another level of healing that we find. I don't understand it, okay? I'm not God. I did not create us in this way, okay? But I know that is what the scripture says. For many of you, you're bottled up. You're all about confessing to yourself or to, or to God, but you need community. The church is a gathering of people who believe in Jesus together. It's not just a bunch of individuals who are all separate. No, we are in communion with one another, right? We are in fellowship with one another. And many times, this is part of it. Hey, man, I need to talk to somebody about this. 
That's many times what confession looks like. I, I need to let somebody know what's going on. I need, I need somebody to pray for me. I'm struggling, right? That's what confession is. And that's a part of us of growing in, in sanctification, becoming more like Jesus, that we confess. But we do need community. We are, now I want to say this, we are all individually in the process of sanctification, but we are also involved in helping others in their process of sanctification. How? Through encouragement. What I just told you, a thousand times, go for a thousand one. Don't quit. Don't quit. I know that there, you go through seasons of frustration and confusion and doubt. I, I know that. Don't quit. Continue to move forward. Don't quit. Another way is through admonishment, right? Admonishment. Hey, think differently about this. Hey, look, look, it might be a little bit confrontational at times whenever you admonish a brother or you are admonished, okay? But that's also part of what we do in community at times, not all the time. If you're always admonishing someone constantly, you might like admonishing too much, all right? Uh, maybe you need to back it off a notch, okay? I'm not talking about every week or anything here. Okay, that's just to kind of bring a little balance there. Uh, but sometimes that's what it looks like. But we're always approaching every, every person with a motivation to love them and see them become whole. So if you ever are to admonish someone, you feel like, you feel like you're in that position, that it, it's, it's your responsibility to say something, make sure that you're always motivated in love for that person. The last thing that we do is we repent. Repentance is humbly admitting wrong and turning away from sin in order to realign ourselves with God who wants to be in an unhindered relationship with us. Repentance is something that you do at salvation, at justification, but it's also something that you do for the rest of your life. We repent and then we continue to repent. It's like being filled with the Spirit. The Bible, whenever it says be filled with the Spirit, it's this idea of being filled, but also continually being filled. It's like you don't stop, right? Did you need to drink some water yesterday? Yeah. Did you need to, you need to drink some water today? Yeah. You need water the next day? Yeah. What happens if you don't drink, drink water? You get dehydrated, right? We need, it's the same idea. Repentance, confession, growth, sanctification. It's a transformative process and repentance is part of that. Revelation 3:19, last scripture is this. Those whom I love, this is God speaking, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Repentance is this idea of turning from something, but not just turning from, turning to something else. It's changing the way that you think and that which will change the way that you live. But it's turning from unrighteousness to righteousness, turning from uh, self-sufficiency to Christ-sufficiency, right? Being sufficient in him, not yourself. It's, it's a completely new, new way of thinking and believing and living. And that's the life that we've been called to. And that's what we believe sanctification is. This is what we think sanctification looks like. And y'all, listen, every single one of you who have made a decision to follow Jesus, you are in that process right now. You're in it right now. Now, if you've been in it for many years, I have a question. Is it always fun? No. Is it always easy? No. But is it good? Yeah. Come on. Why? Because you're drawing closer and closer to Jesus. You're drawing closer to him. You're becoming more like him. And there's fulfillment. There's joy. There's hope. There's peace. And I want to encourage each of you in that, in that today. 
to be encouraged to follow Jesus. And, and this is one last thing I want to show you before we leave. If you can go put that, put that, uh, that chart up. You might want to take a picture of this. You might want to remember this. But I think it's so important that we have a delineation between these, what these words mean. Justification has to do with our condition. It's once and for all. Entirely God's work perfected in this life, the same in all Christians, right? We are justified by faith alone. And then we go into this process of sanctification. Sanctification has to do with our conduct. It's continuous throughout life. We cooperate in this, okay? It's not perfected in this life. And honestly, it's greater in some than in others. It is. It's greater in some than in others. But just like that dotted line had some ups and downs, come on, y'all. We continue to move forward. We continue to draw closer to him because it's about that heart of stone being replaced with the heart of flesh and then learning to live in that way. We're actually going to sing a song about that here in just a moment, about the heart of God for us. And I believe that in the next few minutes, I think that God wants to do a deep work in some of you. Uh, I, I know that for some of you, you, you were raised in church, and so you have a lot of baggage when it comes to this conversation. There's a lot of baggage. Look, there's a lot of things I said today that if you're, if you're a, a, a theological type, you know there were some certain things that you're like, well, I don't, is that exactly what? There's a lot of twists and turns. There's a lot of spectrums in the way that people approach a lot of these, this, this thing. But I, I will tell you this, that, that nobody's got it 100% right. But God is seeking to know us and he wants us to know him. And I believe at times we need to kind of like say, okay, I, I, I get all that, but now I need to respond to that and I need to like, I just need to, to, to kind of put away some of those things and just surrender afresh and anew. Right now, just, just close your eyes. For, for some of you, you're, you're getting so hung up in some intellectualism. For others, you're getting so hung up in your past and in your, your conduct that we can begin to, to, uh, to lose sight of the heart of God. That's how we want to close the service today, where we are focusing in on the heart of God. I want you to know that his mercy triumphs judgment, that his grace is sufficient for you, that Jesus died on the cross and was raised to new life for each and every one of us, no matter what your past, no matter your present, no matter your future, his love is consistent. His grace is sufficient. He loves you, and he has made a way for you to be in right relationship with him through the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus. And right now, it's time to surrender. If God's drawing you, you know it. It doesn't have to be some eloquent prayer. There's not a certain way to do this. But you pray to your God, Lord, I, I surrender right now. I give all that I am right now. I, I, the, 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 the things that I've tried really hard to do, the effort, I lay all that aside and I surrender right now. For, for some of you who, you know the story of the prodigal son in the, in the Bible, maybe you're that prodigal today and you, and you feel that and you, and, and you feel like you're kind of coming back to the father's house, but you're kind of scared. Like, I'm not sure if I'm going to be accepted. Remember that story. The father ran to the son, embraced him. In all of his filth, in all of his failure, he put a ring on his finger, put a robe around him, said, you're my son. And today, I, I think some of you need to hear that. You're my son. You're my daughter. I love you. 
just come back. God, we thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your faithfulness. Today, God, I pray that you remind us of who you are, that you are making us into something that is more like you, even though there's ups and there's downs. We fall at your feet. We surrender. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.